Thanks, Angie. Uh, yeah, I love um, what we get to do uh, as a church. We, uh, a lot of you guys know this, we are only like eight months old as a church. Um, and so uh, I love that. Uh, we're a part of a family of churches. Um, the first one started about 19 years ago. Um, and so we are, we were the baby of the family. Uh, and then two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we launched the South Hills Riverside Campus. And uh, I think we've got, all total, I think we've got about 12 or 14 people that are out there today helping them, greeting and all that kind of stuff. And I love that we get to help plant more churches and help um, be a part of that because there's people everywhere that are looking for community and for hope and for fun and good donuts and coffee and Jesus and, and all these things that you're here for. Uh, people are looking for that all over the place. And one of the interesting things, and, and there's a lot of churches, we talked about this a few weeks ago, there's actually five churches for every one McDonald's in the country. So there's a lot of churches in the world. Um, and most of them are great. Uh, they're great churches, and, and you don't have to be just like us for us to think that you're great. We love all kinds of different churches. One of the reasons why starting new churches is so important is because uh, it's, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the number correctly, it's about 70% uh, more likely that somebody that has never been to a church before will go to a new church than they will to a church that's been in their neighborhood for years and years. And so when we get to start new churches, it's a great thing because it's able to connect with people that have never been to church before. How many of you guys were a part of a church before coming to South Hills? A handful of you guys. How many of you guys, this is the first church you've come to in a while? All right, so new church, we get to connect with different people, and so I'm excited for that. I'm excited for our team to be out there. Uh, it was weird this morning because most of the ones uh, that went out there to the Riverside campus are the ones that just kind of make fun of me all morning as we're getting ready. So it was oddly quiet and peaceful. So I said, you know what, you guys can stay in Riverside, and this will make my job. I'm just kidding. Uh, hey, it's, uh, it's good to be here. Another great thing that we're doing today uh, that we don't get to be a part of in this room because we're the boring grown-ups, is PJ Day. Pajama Day is happening in Kid Nation right now. Uh, I actually went over and looked in earlier um, just in time to hear my six-year-old tell the, our, uh, Becky, our Kid Nation director, uh, my daddy doesn't have pajamas. He sleeps in his underwear. So <laughs> thank you, son. Uh, but they have like a full-on cereal bar over there. They're making pillowcases. They've got games and prizes. And I love what we get to do uh, in our Kid Nation department in our children's ministry. It's not just childcare. It's not just babysitting. But they actually have an incredible experience there, um, and where they teach them about who Jesus is and what it looks like to to love friends. And I keep telling uh, Miss Becky and Miss Alma like, hey, as much as you want to tell them about how to respect and listen to your parents, like we can talk about that every single week, and we'll be okay. So, uh, but uh, they're doing great stuff over there. Um, we are in uh, the last week of this series called Tribal that we've been in over the last few weeks. For thousands and thousands of years, people have been gathering in tribes, and they've looked different ways, uh, but even this is a tribe, and, and a tribe is a group of people, it's a gathering of people that are, are there for a specific reason, there's, for a specific time, they share a vision, they share a purpose, They're, there's different reasons for them being a part of that tribe. Um, last week, we talked about it, how a tribe is a group of people who share their lives together. Um, they don't just kind of live in the same area, but they actually depend on each other, and they share their lives with each other in community and relationships. Uh, we talked about how a tribe isn't just rows like this, but it's also circles, how we get together, and, and a circle is an opportunity for us to sit across from each other, because right now it's just me looking at all of you looking at me, uh, and so I can talk, and I can make jokes, and I can read Bible verses, and I can encourage, and I can challenge, and all that kind of stuff, and I can teach principles, 
But what does it mean for you guys to actually figure out and live out what those look like? And one of the best ways to do that is by be, being in a group, a growth group or a circle or finding some relationships of people where you can talk about, hey, man, we talked about this last weekend, but here's, here's how I don't understand how it fits my life or here's what I'm struggling with or whatever it might be. And so tribes uh, share their lives together in, in community. And actually next, uh, a week from Wednesday, so it's like 13 days from now, that's too many days. Ten days from now, I don't know. A week from Wednesday, we'll leave it there. We're starting a, a five-week growth group series. And so if you guys are trying to figure out, hey, I would love to get together with people during the week. And I would, it's just discussion-based. We're going to be talking about the things that the, the messages on Sunday. We're going to spend Wednesday nights just hanging out. There will be coffee and snacks, obviously, and time just to hang out and talk and say, this is what it looks like for me as I try and apply this to my life. Uh, here's what's difficult for me. Here's what's easy for me. And so I would invite you guys. It's five weeks. You can commit to that. It would be a super simple, short-term commitment. You're not signing up to be a part of these people's lives forever. You can try it out. Uh, it's going to be a great time. I would encourage you guys to be a part of that. And it's actually going to be right here on Wednesday nights. Um, so you don't even have to go to some creepy person's house that you don't know. Uh, so uh, I know some of you guys, that's a difficult thing. Uh, I like haunted houses, so it all works out for me. So uh, the first week, we talked about how a tribe is a group of people that share a vision. Uh, they have a, a common purpose, a common goal. Uh, after the resurrection, uh, after Jesus died on the cross and he rose three days later, he appears to different disciples. And, and in Matthew 28, uh, he says, uh, it says this in verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and, and on earth. I've been given all the authority. I've conquered death. I have um, risen from the grave. I've been given all the authority. Therefore, Go. And he says, so then I'm not going to do something. You're going to do something. I'm going to use my authority and I'm going to command you to do something, you to live a certain way. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. And disciple is a word that we talk a lot of times in church. It's a word that many of us are familiar with. But it's essentially followers. It's people that are following and learning what it looks like to be like Jesus. And so Jesus says, I have all the authority. I have conquered death. I have risen from the grave. I have proven that I am who I said I am. And so because of that, you go and make disciples of all the nations. Essentially saying, this isn't about us. It's not about this little group of people, the 12 of you and me. Unlike most tribes, our focus isn't exclusivity, but our focus is inclusivity. We don't want to just keep this tribe safe from outsiders and protect ourselves. We actually work as hard as we can to bring people in, to bring in people that feel like outsiders and say, hey, you can belong here too. We're outward focused. We're not inward focused. We don't huddle together to be safe, but we go out and we spread the good news or the gospel, which literally it translates to, to mean good news. But this is what we do. We say, hey, this is what we found. And I would love for you to, to share it and experience it. At South Hills, we do our best to have our church follow Jesus' command to go and to make disciples of all nations. We want to reach people that are disconnected from church, um, which the church is the earthly expression of God's love. The church is what Jesus left behind uh, so for people to look at and say, this is what God looks like. And sometimes we do a pretty good job, and sometimes we struggle with it a little bit because we're all human and we're, we're trying to, to get it together a little bit. But the church is what Jesus chose to say, hey, this is how people are going to see me in the world in a day-to-day. -day. 
So we want to reach people that are disconnected from church, and we want to grow deeper in relationship with him. We want to do that, and we want to invite other people to be in a growing relationship with who Jesus is. And people aren't just looking for something to keep themselves busy. They're looking for hope and compassion and purpose. And a lot of those things like Jamie was talking about when she was praying in that song of this idea of, of the way that Jesus reigns over our entire life, of, 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 that's something that we get to choose to live that way. We can choose to have that mindset where he gives us hope, where we don't put our hope in our stuff or our jobs or our titles because how many of you guys have lost one of those things? We don't put our hope in our bank accounts because my pay period is two weeks long and it gets like real sketchy at the end of that two weeks. We don't put our hope in stuff. We don't put our hope in people. We, we put our hope in who Jesus is. So people are looking for, people everywhere are looking for hope and compassion and purpose and forgiveness and acceptance. And I know that is true because we are also. We are looking for that too. We have found the source of that here. We found that in Jesus. But we're still looking for that. We're still learning how to live that way. We're still learning how to have trust that God will provide for us. We're still learning how to forgive ourselves and forgive others. We're still learning how to love each other well. So we're still doing this. We're still figuring this out. That's how I know that everybody is looking for it. Because we know what the source is and we still haven't gotten it figured out. So Jesus is constantly has crowds that are following him. They're crowding around him, listening to what he said, listening to what he taught. And they did this because Jesus paid attention to them. It seemed like he cared about them, which is something that didn't often happen. He didn't just want something from them. He wasn't just trying to tax them. He wasn't just trying to guilt them, but he actually cared. He saw them. He spoke to their pain and their insecurities. He validated frustrations that they had. He healed their diseases uh, he spoke out against the oppressors of the time, both religious and political oppression that they were experiencing. Jesus made them feel important and seen and heard and valued and included. They had religion all around them, so it's not like they were just trying to find a religious thing to do. That was, there was plenty of options when it came to religion. They were being attracted by something else that Jesus offered. The, the Gospels... Uh, the first four books in the New Testament, uh, the first one is Matthew, and it was written by a man named Matthew. Uh, very creative names in the New Testament. Um, and Matthew was a tax collector by trade. Uh, and as a tax collector, you weren't very well liked. Uh, not a lot of cha has changed in the last couple thousand years. Uh, and this is kind of what his job was. And he was one of the first disciples that Jesus called. And so can you imagine Jesus, this person who sticks up for the underdog and the outcast, and he, and, he, and he talks to people and says, I get it, and it's not right what they do. It's not right what they do, but here's how you should live. And you know what? This tax collector, he's with me. And you can just kind of imagine everybody like, what? Him too? And so Matthew writes this first gospel, the, the first book of the New Testament, and he, he, and he has this to say in Matthew chapter 14. There's a, a story many of us might be familiar with. Matthew 14, starting in verse 13. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, uh, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. And the news that Jesus heard is that one of his closest friends, John the Baptist, had been killed. So, so as soon as he heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed, and they followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped off the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. This is a, a sense that the, the, the crowds never stopped. 
his closest, one of his closest friends, one of the people he loved the most, it was his cousin, dies. And so it says he gets onto a boat to go to a remote area, which I assume is far, and there's crowds just kind of following on the land. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be, <laughs> like on a boat going across and just see like crowds like, uh, you got to be kidding me. So that, that would be my response. That's why I'm not Jesus. Uh, the, the work is never finished, wave after wave. It didn't matter what Jesus did. It didn't matter what he said. It didn't matter what he had going on in his personal life. The work was never really finished. People were always looking for what he had to offer, this compassion, this love. Verse 15 says, that evening the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Remember Matthew who wrote this, the tax collector, he's real good with numbers. So he's like looking at the crowd like, yeah, we're going to need some help here. There's no way we're going to be able to feed all of these people. Send them away so they can buy food for themselves. Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Thousands of people in a remote area, Matthew, the disciples are like, hey, we, we, they're going to need to eat. We should probably like send them to go get food. And Jesus says, that's not necessary. You feed them. Jesus is always, always, always trying to teach the disciples to serve others. And all throughout the gospel, he's always reminding them and teaching them and commanding them to serve others. And again, in this situation, he says, no, that's not necessary. You feed them. Yeah, they can go and get their own food. They can leave and go take care of themselves. But even though they can, I want you to do it. Even though they're capable, I want you to do it. And what, what are the, who are the people, what are the situations in our life where we, we withdraw, <laughs> just as a side note, they're like, uh, I think they could probably do it on their own. And if they choose not to, then that's on them. But I'm all free because they can handle it themselves. They're grown-ups. They're big kids, they're big, you know. But Jesus is constantly saying, no, we serve, we become servants. It's the way we live, it's the way that we love, it's the way that we act. The disciples, obviously frustrated and confused, they say, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, Jesus says. Bring whatever it is that you have to Jesus, whether it's a little or a lot, whatever it is, bring them here. Verse 19 then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looked up towards heaven, and he blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it, distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Verse 21 says, about 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and all the children. This is crazy. I mean, there's tons and tons of people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, five loaves and a couple fish, and Jesus is, says, you know, you feed them. And he says, essentially, bring me what you have. And so they bring the five loaves and the two fish, and then Jesus blesses what they offer, and it's enough. And it's not even just enough, it's actually way more than enough. One of the primary ways that God grows our faith is when we just offer what we have. A tribe, what we're talking about this week, is a tribe is a group of people that share the work. It's a group of people that, that come together and say, let's bring what we have and let's share the work together. With Jesus, the miracle never takes place 
because of strength or because of numbers. The miracle is always in the open hands and in the willing hearts of people. That's where the miracle always takes place. It's never because they have enough or because somebody is so skilled or because they're so gifted. Or, be, or it's, it's never in those situations. It's always just when people say, okay, here's what I've got. What can you do with it? That's where Jesus always does the best work, the best miracles. There's a, a sense that Jesus is actually teaching the disciples how to take care of thousands of people. Almost as if at one point in the future they're going to have to figure out how to take care of thousands of people. Last week we read a little bit in Acts chapter 2, which is the story of the first church. And each chapter in Acts, if you read through it, and sometimes a couple times in each chapter it says, and the Lord added to their numbers daily. And the Lord added to their numbers daily because they were doing so much good and they won the favor of all the people in that land. They grew. The church grew bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And in Acts chapter 6, there's an interesting story. We don't have time to jump into it, but it talks about how there's a couple people that start getting frustrated because uh, their needs are not being met. They feel like they're getting skipped uh, in food service and different things like that. And if there's one thing that I know is that we don't like being skipped. When we're waiting in line, we don't like when people cut in line. As much as I try and not care about that, that's one of those things. Like, it just puts me from, like, 1 to 10. Is anybody else, is that, like, a, a trigger for anybody else? I was at uh, Disneyland last week, uh, the land of lines. Uh, and we were in line to see Daffy Duck dressed up in a Halloween costume. And uh, it's all that Arlo, my two-year-old, wanted. He just kept saying, Daffy, 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 Daffy. And so I was like, okay, we'll wait in this insanely long line to take a picture with Daffy Duck. And I was watching like a hawk because there's people like, oh, just cutting through the line. Like, oh, I just need to get to that side. It's like, I'm watching, you know, like the whole entire time. Like, don't even think about it, dude. I've been here for 20 minutes with my two kids. Like, but there's a sense that we don't like being skipped. We don't like being forgotten. We don't like being looked over. We don't like being missed in any way, whether you're at Disneyland, whether you're in line to order food, whatever the situation is. And in Acts chapter 6, a church had grown so big that the disciples come together and be like, man, we can't take care of all these people on our own. What should we do? And it doesn't say this. So this is me kind of in the white space. But I have to assume that they thought back to what was the last time we were in front of like seven or 8,000 people? What did we do? We found a couple people and said, hey, help do this. Well, Jesus found a couple people and it was us. And so the disciples, they identify seven people and they say, all right, you guys are in charge of making sure all of these people get fed. This is exactly what Jesus told them. It's exactly what we read in Matthew 14. Jesus says, no, you feed them. Don't leave them on their own. Yes, they can go and get food on their own, but you do it. And so then in Acts chapter 6, the disciples are leading this church that's growing and growing and growing, and all of a sudden people are not getting the food that they need, and they say, you do it. And they identify a few people to go and serve food. It's kind of just a roundabout thing. That's not the point of this message. So you do it. I remember uh, when we were getting ready to launch, we actually, in October, was our first gathering. We had dinner in the backyard of somebody's house in Costa Mesa. I don't know if anybody, was anybody at that dinner? in October, like four or five people, uh, and, uh, and it was a great time, um, but I invited all of my friends, like nine people, uh, and uh, 
Uh, I invited a lot of people, and um, it was one of those things where it's like, you kind of want to be like, hey, I, I want you to come, and we're going to start a church, and I'd love to tell you about it. And then I also, like, didn't want them to not come because I was starting a church, I wanted to tell them about it. So some people, I was just like, hey, we're having a barbecue. And then other people, I was like, hey, we're starting a church. And so it was just kind of like pick and choose who I wanted to tell what to. So totally honest, uh, very trustworthy person. Uh, and uh, But these people are coming, and it was just myself and Ez and like one or two other really close friends that were able to like get this food together to feed like 40 or 50 people. And then we did three or four of those gatherings, and it was just a few of us that were doing all this work. And I was like, okay, we're doing this. And then, so we started having these, we moved from doing the, the once a month dinners to then we started meeting every week. In January of this year, we started meeting every week in this warehouse. It was beautiful and, and warm and comfortable and free, which was the best part. And so we started meeting every week, and there was a few, of, a few more people that were helping, and they would bring chili, or they would help set up chairs, or whatever it would be. And so we kind of had it controlled, and then we're like, hey, so we're launching the church on February 26th. And when we launch the church, we got to set up, like, TVs and microphones, and we have to have people waving at folks on the street, like, please come to church with us, and whatever it might be. And so that last Sunday before we launched, I, I looked at this group of people that had largely just been coming to hang out, and I said, hey, I need you guys to help do this. And so people that had never run sound before said, okay, I'll, I'll help run sound. And people that had never made 100 cups of coffee at one time before were like, ah, I like coffee, I can figure that out. And so people started saying like, hey, sure, I'll, I'll do it. Not because it's what they were good at, but it's because of what they believed it was doing, because of what it was accomplishing, because of what they had experienced in that cold warehouse eating chili together. They're like, I think other people would like this. And so I'll help make this easier for more people to come to. And so that was eight months ago. And then a lot of you guys have started coming over the last eight months. And, and many of you guys have gotten involved in serving. But there's still more and more needs that are arising as we continue to grow. When we first started meeting, we were a uh, much smaller size. Now we're growing to this place where we're starting to launch groups. And we're having these patio parties, which now we call partios. That's a, I mistakenly said partio the other day. I was like, that's going to be what we call it forever now. So we're having partios. And, uh, and, and so there's these needs that keep on growing. And there's this sense of what I want you guys to, to get invited to today. And Angie already talked about it. And I'm going to keep talking about it for another 15 minutes or something. But this idea of, and this is the vision of what this tribe is about. It's about people finding hope and purpose and meaning and belonging and community and man, that, that kind of makes sense, and I really like that guy. I really like that girl. We build a relationship, and man, the music is really good here, or, or whatever it is that you have found here, there's a sense that other people are looking for some of those same things, and especially as we go into family month, which is one of the, the seasons where we reach out to the community the most because regardless of what you believe about Jesus or the Bible or church, Everybody wants their family to be healthy and strong and good. Everybody wants to be a better parent. Everybody wants to be a better spouse or neighbor. Everybody wants those things. And so we do this series as a, as a way to say, hey, why don't you come in and be a part of this? Because when you follow Jesus, it helps you be better at life. It helps you be a better husband. It helps you be a better father, a better neighbor, all these different types of things. So Jesus says, no, you do it. And they were willing, and he did this miracle. There's four things I've learned about serving, and this is what we're going to talk about just for the rest of our time today. There's four things over the last uh, 12 years that I've been in church, uh, working in church, there's, there's four things I've learned about serving. 
The first one is that God is not looking for skills or resources. He's looking for willingness. Like he's not looking for like a professional sound guy to run sound here every Sunday. I would not turn a professional sound guy away. But God is always looking for willingness. If you go back to Exodus chapter 4, the story of Moses, and he's, he's hiding in the desert because he killed an Egyptian man, and he's worried he's going to get in trouble. And, and God shows up, and he's talking to Moses, and he says, I want you to lead my people out of slavery uh, and so you're going to go and you're going to talk to Pharaoh and you're going to let him know, like, hey, I'm taking these hundreds of thousands of people and we're out of here. And Moses is like, I don't think I've got that skill set. Uh, and he's, he gives all of these excuses. And apparently Moses had like a stutter problem. And he's like, I can't speak well. And, and he's giving all these reasons why he's not really suited for that job. And in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, God says, what is in your hand? And Moses, at the time, was making his living as a shepherd. And so he says, I have a shepherd's staff. And God says, throw it on the ground. And so he throws the staff on the ground, and it turns into a snake, which is crazy. And then God tells him to pick up the snake. And so he goes to pick up the snake, and it becomes a staff again. And there's a sense, and, and there's so much in that story, but there's a sense where God's like, what, it, what is it that you have? What do you think that I, I'm not capable of doing? You got a shepherd's staff, throw it on the ground, and he turns it into a snake. He does way more than Moses could ever do with a shepherd's staff. And there's this piece where God's saying, just be willing. What do you have in your hand? And so the question for us is, what do we have in our hands? What is it that we're capable of? What is it that we enjoy doing? What is it that we don't get angry when we do? What is it that, you know, what are the, what are the things that you're passionate or that you're naturally gifted to do? What is it that's in your hand? He looks at the disciples, who most of the disciples were rejects and outcasts in many different ways. And God says, you're the ones that are going to start my church. You're the, you guys didn't quite make it in, uh, in you know, Jewish school. So you're fishermen and tax collectors. So let's have you guys run the church. He's always looking for the people that are willing. Mark chapter 12, the story of the widow's might. And he's, he's making this example of all these people that are coming and they're giving all of this money and they're, they're doing all this great stuff. And then this one widow comes and she puts like her last two coins in the bucket, in the offering bucket. He says she gave more than all of these other people. Because of her willingness, because of what she was able to bring. So this is what I've got. And the other people gave a larger quantity, but they had plenty in reserves. And they made a show of it. She gave what she had. She was open-handed and willing. God doesn't need us to do anything, but he chooses to use us. He wants us. He wants to use us. Usually the, God th uh, the things that God wants to use about us are the things that would be at the bottom of our list. I don't know if you guys have ever had those experiences. The things that you would prefer probably not to not talk about are the things that most often God ends up using in your life. For me, I am constantly meeting people that grew up in divided houses where their parents were in ministry and got divorced and there was abuse in their life. I don't know why I meet so many people that have been in that situation, but that's the situation that I've been in. And there's a lot of other things that I enjoy. I like hip-hop. 
I like food, which most people do. There's a lot of things that I would rather God use me as a rapper. I'm just kidding. There's like, I mean, I wouldn't turn it down, God. but, But constantly, day in and day out, he uses the things that I would not think of as strengths or high points in my life. And he uses those things to allow me to help and serve others and to say, hey, it's okay. I get it. I grew up in a church just like that. My dad was just like that. I had that same experience. And it's okay. You're not alone. I'm obviously not perfect. And so we can hang out and we can figure this out together. God is always using people that are willing and he's usually picking aspects of their life that they aren't necessarily the most proud about to do incredible things through. The first thing is God isn't looking for skills or resources. He's looking for willingness. The second thing is that Jesus didn't say to just help the helpless. Jesus constantly taught people to be servants to everyone. It's not just the helpless. Yes, them, but also everybody else. This is the way that I want you to live your life. Not just every time you see somebody that can't do it for themselves, do it for them. This crowd, yes, they could have gone and gotten food on their own, but Jesus says, no, you do it. He was constantly doing this. Mark chapter 9, the disciples are walking with Jesus. In verse 33, it says, After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asks his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? Which is hilarious. Uh, It says, But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. (laughs) So this is the people that Jesus said, Yeah, I want these guys to run everything. (laughs) And you can, I mean... I don't know, I've got kids, and so I can just picture, like, Jesus walking in the front, and just, like, you pan out, and they're just kind of, like, elbowing each other, like, for who's going to be first in line, and, I mean, my kindergartner last year always wanted to be the line leader, and I just feel like, okay, we've got the disciples that are fighting for these same things, so Jesus, they get to the house at the end of the trip, and Jesus says, hey, what were you guys talking about on the road, and they're like, uh, love, I mean, They didn't answer because they'd been arguing about which of them was the greatest. 35 says, he sat down. He called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. This is what it looks like to be first. This is what greatness looks like now. It means to serve everyone else. It's to put yourself last. This is what it looks like. It's not jockeying for first position. It's not trying to be the, the most well-known or anything like that. It, it's to, to become a servant to everyone. Galatians 5.13 says, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature or your human selves just because you're free. Don't just think like, great, I can do whatever I want now. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. So just because you're free, just because you've been forgiven, you've got grace, just because That doesn't mean that you can just do whatever you want for your own desires. Use that freedom, that grace, the forgiveness, the hope, the purpose, the meaning, the whatever it is that you have found in me, use that to serve others in love. Essentially, following Jesus, choosing to follow Jesus is a race to who can get to the bottom fastest. It's not who can get to the top. It's not who's the greatest. It's who can outserve the other people. This is what Jesus wanted. This is what Jesus was looking for. Serve all. Become a servant to everyone. The third thing is some of what you want, some of what you want to get only comes when you start to give. 
Some of what you want to get in life, some of what you want to experience, it only comes when you start to give, when you start to uh, give in a number of different ways. It shows up all kinds of different ways. A lot of you probably started coming to this church because there's a, there's a sense, I, I, there's actually a few of you that I know, you started coming because you were looking for something here. You were looking to find something. And over time, you've realized that finding something here has actually involved you serving here. You getting involved here, you working here, you showing up early and setting up, you uh, helping tear down, greet, whatever it might be. Serving and giving here has actually helped you discover what it is that you were looking for, a sense of community, of belonging. There's a quote that I read this week, and it says that the best way to gather is to scatter. The best way to gather is to scatter. I was talking about um, farming. Galatians chapter 6 kind of talks about the same thing. In verse 7 it says, don't be misled. You will always harvest what you plant. So you will gather what you scatter. Verse 8 says, those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. You always gather what you scatter. If you are looking to be fulfilled and to, to, to find hope and purpose and relationships, then you have to plant purpose and relationships. You have to speak in love to other people. You have to encourage other people. You have to scatter what it is that you want to gather. We do this a few different ways, and I've seen this happen over the last decade and a half that I've been doing this in missions trips. I've been on a number of trips um, to different places. I've been to Africa. I've been to the Philippines. I've been to Mexico. I've been uh, a few different places serving, and I've led a couple of those trips, and every single one for myself embarrassingly, I haven't learned this yet, and for other people, you always go thinking, man, I can't wait to give and serve and help these people. And you always come back being like, that changed my life. You come back different. Whenever you go to help someone else, whenever you go to give to someone else, whenever you go to serve someone else, it changes you just as much, if not more, than the person that you wanted to serve. I've seen that happen globally. I've seen that happen locally. I've seen them people get involved in different ministries here at the church. I've seen people get involved in organizations here locally. There's actually, um, I want to call uh, Rick up to the stage. Uh, come on. You're not getting out of it. Everybody welcome Rick. It's a long walk, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, I have uh, I've known who Rick is for a number of years. I used to play music with his son a uh, long time ago when I played music. And uh, But uh, Rick and his wife Lisa, they started coming um, when we launched, right, for the grand opening. You guys came out to that? Day one. Day one. Uh, and so, but um, about two months after we launched, we went to an Angels game. Um, and uh, a bunch of us went. We got like 35 tickets, 40 tickets, something like that. We all went to this Angels game. And why don't you tell me just kind of a little bit about that experience of uh, what happened, I guess, en route to the Angels game. All right. Well, I've, I'm a Anaheim, born and raised, and now live in Newport Beach. And so the homeless plight always kind of affected me. And I knew what was going on in Anaheim in particular 
um, when I saw a bunch of the homeless encampments uh, on the uh, Santa Ana Riverbed, and it broke my heart. And coincidentally, we went to the Andrew Game, as you mentioned, for an event, a church event, and we were barbecuing back by the Big A, and the home encampment was that close. And to see it that close really affected me. To see that they would hire staff to keep those people from hopping over a little fence to use the public restrooms really broke my heart. And um, I knew at that point I, I wanted to do something. I, wanted to, I didn't know what, but I wanted to help somehow in, in the homeless community. And um, I spoke with my buddy Jess about it, and he mentioned, well, there is something actually you can do called Trellis. And um, I decided to check it out. So uh, I love that. Um, what have you learned um, about yourself, I guess, through, because you've been serving now for the last how long? Uh, last couple of months. So let me just pause. So I knew he went on a Friday night and served, and then I didn't hear anything else about it. And so I kind of just assumed like he went. And then like a week and a half ago, I found out that you've actually, you, so we have a team that goes on Friday nights. Uh, and you decided that you wanted to go every week. And since Friday nights usually has a lot of people that he picked up another night, and you go pretty much every Wednesday night. On Wednesday nights, yes. Weekly for the last few months. Weekly or every other week, whenever the schedule permits. So, which is crazy, and I was blown away by that. Um, and so, what have you learned about yourself through serving I've learned in this a lot. way? Actually, the main thing I've learned is that I have the capacity to serve. Um, I didn't know how or what or how to get involved in, in the homeless plight, but I found out in the process that I can help. And logistically, what I do is not mind-blowing. You know, I, I, I show up, I set up tables and chairs, I get their Hold totes. on, I'm going to write this down. Okay. Let's get it. <laughs> I, I, I fetch their totes, and if you don't know what Trellis does, one of the things they do, one of the many things they do, it's a check-in center, and that's what I work at. And it's a place for homeless people to keep their belongings um, so they don't have to haul them around, keep some personal belongings, keep some um, important belongings so they don't get stolen. And it gives them the opportunity to, you know, search for jobs better and such. But anyways, logistically what I do isn't mind-blowing. I set up, I, I fetch their toad, I put it back. But what I've learned to do in the process is to actually reach out to these people and talk to them. Because that's really what they need more than anything. Um, and based on my life experience, I can offer that experience strength and hope. And that's one of the things that I do. Um, a, a big a percentage of the homeless community are addicted to drugs or alcoholics or they suffer from mental illness. Um, I can relate to both. <laughs> um, 17 years ago, the same God that I used to curse for my misfortune and bad luck, I turned to to, to get sober. And uh, when I made that decision, I was 35 years old, so I just aged myself, do the math. <laughs> and... Um, fresh out of jail on an alcohol-related incident, and had nowhere to go. I could have, but for the grace of God, been one of them. Um, I burned all my bridges, but other than God, who took me back a million times, there was a, one other person that would do the same, and that was my mother. So at 35 years old, I'm living back with mom, feeling like a complete loser, but I knew what I needed to do, and that was to get sober. And... Um, that was one of the first miracles that 
or one of the many miracles, actually, that God's done in my life is when I made that decision, made, made the right steps, the obsession to drink was completely removed. And that is only a God thing. Um, so what I try to do is I try to share that experience, strength, and hope with the people that I talk to. And because I know what that pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization feels like. And that's where they're at. You take their condition and you add homelessness, homelessness on top of it. And you add the fact that people want to look the other way and not help. It's just completely demoralizing, dehumanizing. And they just really the main thing you can do is just talk to them. And that's what I try to do, encourage them to maybe go to church at, the, at uh, the Crossing, which is where we do the service. I've actually encouraged a couple to come here. Um, I encourage them to go to meetings, to get a sponsor. And the main thing is just talk to them and give them a hug and give them some hope, and it, it does make a difference. So and what is your skill set in for career? My career? Yeah. So in my career, I'm a salesperson. So I guess... And what's your hobbies? My hobbies, I'm in, uh, music. Music, yeah. drummer. Drummer. Okay, and how many of those things that you're good at do you get to use when you serve on Wednesday nights? None, but other than being able to talk to people. Yeah. Yeah. You get to use the thing that would be at the bottom of the list of yeah. things that you're proud to say, I am. Right. I, and I, that's like what I God's use. I, I don't have any skills. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. Don't say that. We put you on the soundboard last week, so you have to have some skills. I mean, in my, in my, in my professional job, my only skills are to talk people out of their money. <laughs> so um, I asked Rick to share because he said yes. He was willing. And when he started serving, I mean, what has been the experience for you? How has this changed your heart? Because you've actually been... Uh, I mean, the last couple months haven't been easy for you. And so what has it looked like for you over the last few it's, months as it's, you guys... It's been challenging, but encouraging. It's been heartbreaking, yet hopeful. Um, you know, um, once I reach out and help, and I've, you know, I talked to you a little bit about this today, actually. Um, I'm still very fallible. And, what? and what I've learned in the process of serving others, and it's our, it's our job as a church, not this building, but as a church, all of us to positively affect the community. And what I've learned in serving in general is you're going to rob yourself of blessings two ways. One, if you boast about it. <laughs> so I try not to, if I do anything, I try not to sell. That's why Chris didn't know I was doing this for a couple of months. Um, two, if you complain about it. And that's one thing I'm still working on. <laughs> right, Lisa? I'm, <laughs> I'm more than happy to serve, but I always find myself complaining and moaning and groaning. And I was doing it yesterday with when I was helping my wife's uh, grandmother move her house of 30-some-odd years. Um, I'm old and, and I'm achy and, you know, and I complained all day. And he showed up day, at 7 a.m. today to help us set up this church. Right. So... You can talk about how you're still learning, which I agree, you are, and yeah. we are, and I am. But, but just do it with a happy heart and a generous heart, and you will be blessed. When I do that, I'll come home, and I'll tell Lisa the amazing things that happened that night. And they're as simple as this. You know, you try not to get emotionally attached to the people, but you do. And there was a woman who, um, a little crazy, but she was great. And she <laughs> came rolling in on our bike one day, and um, she stopped it with her feet. I'm like, you can't be driving around the city with your bike, you know, and not have brakes. Let me get my buddy in here to help you fix the brakes. So I arranged it with my buddy to come meet me there the next uh, Wednesday night, and um, she never showed up. I got a little worried. So I asked one of the guys, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, she checked out this morning. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, she got a job and a place to stay. 
that was all the award I needed. I was crying the rest of the night, and I cried when I got home and told her about it. So it's stories like that that are really the blessing. Um, hopefully I'm going to see some of these guys, and I'm encouraged to, to get sober. And one day they're going to come up to me and tell me that they've been sober for a certain amount of days, and that's going to really make my, my, my day as well. But um, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Can we thank Thanks, Rick? Man. Appreciate it, man. There's an aspect of growth and becoming who you want to be and what you want to be that only happens when you start to give, when you start to serve, when you start to uh, reach outside of yourself. And you think, oh, I'm going to do the, the nice thing and I'm going to help somebody else. And inevitably, God changes us. He uses our willingness, our openness to serve others to change ourselves. So the first thing I've learned about serving is that he's not looking for skills and resources. He's looking for willingness. Jesus didn't just say to help the helpless, but to become servants to all. Some of what you want to get only comes when you start to give. And then the fourth thing is that Jesus never asks us to pay anything back, but he does ask us to pay everything forward. He does not ask us to repay anything he's given us. He's not asking us to work off our salvation. He's not asking us to uh, give our way out of our sinfulness. He just asks us to pay it forward, to live this way for others. Do what I've done for you for others. That's what he asks. How often do we drag our feet because we're hoping for a different kind of experience in life, uh, oftentimes we think that we would rather actually pay. <laughs> like it would just be easier if I could just write a check. Uh, it would be easier if I could just kind of sign off on something. But what we're invited to is the work of being involved in others' lives, loving others well, serving others well. After Jesus is with the disciples, another story in John chapter 13 and he actually has them all sit down, and, and their Messiah, their Savior, their rabbi, this person that they've been following and, and trying to learn from, he gets on his hands and knees and he washes their feet, um, which is not something that somebody of his position would do. It's not really something that even the disciples necessarily would do. There was other people that did that. There was other house servants and things like that that would do those types of things. Jesus gets on his feet, his hands and knees, and he washes their feet. And in verse 13, or verse 15 of John chapter 13, he says, immediately after, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So if everybody will take their shoes, I'm just kidding. Do as I have done to you. And then verse 33, in that same chapter, he says, dear children, I will be with you only a little bit longer. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I'm not looking for you to pay me back. I'm not looking for you to, you know, to do anything but what I've done for you. I've given you a new example. I have given you a new command. Love each other the way that I have loved you. I have spent myself on your behalf. I have served you. I have washed your feet I have uh, produced wine for weddings. I have uh, multiplied food. I have healed. I have cared for. I have shown dignity to. I have on and on and on. This is what I'm asking for you to do. This is my new command. Love each other just as I have loved you. 
So as we wrap up, um, what, what does that mean? What do we do with this information? Uh, obviously, we've been talking about serving and volunteering, and today, uh, a large part of what I would hope is that you guys would be motivated to serve, uh, that you guys would be motivated to find some time, a way to get involved. Uh, and I would love for you to get involved here with us, um, but there's a million other things that you can do. Trellis is somebody that we partner with that does a lot of good in this city. There's other organizations in the city that would do that do great things. But one of the things for us, especially as we are looking at October just a week away and these invites that we're sending out and these invites that you guys have on your chairs is we're hoping to reach out to this community. And today you can kind of get a sense of it might have been like a little bit quiet on the patio because a large part of our, our greeters were actually out at Riverside. And so there's this, there's this sense of energy and life and excitement and, and making this happen and setting up cereal bars in Kid Nation and helping uh, plug in wires for the band and making coffee and, and all these different types of things that there's so much to do. And we want to be able to serve people well when they come to experience what we've invited them to. Because a partio uh, is great. But the reason we do that is so that people can experience this message of hope, this message of peace, this message of acceptance and belonging, all these things that we do at all. We, we do all of this so that we can share this good news, so we can do what Jesus commanded in his last phrase of go and make disciples of all nations, share love and hope and forgiveness and restoration. This is what I want you to do, and this is the mission that we've done. And so... One thing that you can do is smart, start small. We can start small. We can find something simple to do. You guys, uh, I think that some people have this idea that serving is like this massive chunk of time, of energy. And it can be. And I wouldn't stop you if you wanted it to be. But there's also ways that you can show up and you can wave at people. And you guys make coffee at your house almost every day. And you can make coffee here. And you can do that once a month. I mean, there's ways that you can start small. I'm not asking you to do what Rick has done, to step out and be like, hey, every Wednesday I'm going to show up and I'm going to care for and love these people that are coming into the check-in center. You can do that too. But it's not jumping in the deep end. You guys can start small. The second thing that you can do is to be a bringer, which I don't think is a word, but I put it on the screen anyways. So now it's a word. I added it to my autocorrect on my computer. So be a bringer. Invite people to come and experience this. And if you guys are serving, I would invite people to serve with you. Bring them along with you. Say, hey, I'm going to show up a little bit early and, and stand at the door and wave to people as they come in. Do you want to come with me? And you guys can do that. And especially over this next month, I would invite you guys to do that. Start small. Be a bringer. It doesn't have to be big. Matthew 10, verse 42, Jesus says, And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Jesus is like, man, any time that you serve, any time that you love, any time that you give of yourself, you notice another person. Any time that you're living outward, that is what I want for you. And that is how you experience blessings. And the blessing is not like, you're going to get paychecks falling from the sky. It might be. That'd be cool if that was it all the time. But the blessing is fulfillment. It's wholeness. It's a sense of peace, a sense of belonging, of, man, I have contributed. We can start small. We can be a bringer. A tribe is a group of people that share a vision. It's a group of people that share their lives and community and groups. It's a, it's a group of people that share the work. And so today... Um, 
I'm going to pray for us in just a second. And you guys each have one of these Connect cards. Angie talked about these earlier. Um, and we're going to take the offering in a few minutes. But uh, I would love for you guys to consider what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And I would love for you guys to consider what it would look like to join a group. To say, hey, you know what? I'll do that for five weeks. I'll commit to that. I can be a part of that. Um, and there's a place right on there. It's, it's a little circle. You can just put an X in it or whatever it is. Joining a growth group. I'm interested. I'll have the conversation. Or maybe some of you guys have been coming for a while and you're looking for a way to get plugged in and be like, you know what? I can start small. I can show up once a month, twice a month, whatever it looks like. I, 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 I'm okay with kids. <laughs> uh, that's all we ask. You just have to be okay with kids. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm better with donuts than I am with kids. And so that's, what, that's the ministry I stick to. And so, but start small. Figure out what it is that would allow you to be a part of this tribe in this way, especially as we continue to reach out to the community, to invite them to what we've experienced here. So I'm going to pray. I would invite you guys to consider this. Um, uh, as I'm praying, uh, you can fill that out. Um, and in just a moment, we'll, uh, we'll pass the offering. I wrote this just before I pray. I wrote this in my notes. What set Jesus apart, what made him beautiful, what, what blew people away about him, what confuses people the most about Jesus is the way that he serves. As a God, as a Messiah, he didn't come in to conquer. He came in to serve. That was his mode for changing the world. That was his chosen method for how things are going to be different. I'm not going to destroy Rome. I'm not going to destroy the church. I'm going to serve incessantly everybody, regardless of who they are. The way that he fully embodied love is by sacrificially serving us. So let's pray together. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for... Your word, thank you for um, the opportunity to be together. God, I pray that for each one of us um, that considers South Hills home, that, that we would consider this our tribe. We've been talking about this, this vision that we have to, uh, to connect with people that are disconnected from church. We want them to feel like they can belong here, that, they, um, that this can be a home for them. God, we want to not only just welcome them in, but we all want to grow closer to you and, and grow in our relationship with you. And so that's, that's our vision as a tribe. That's what we're doing together. God, that we want to be connected. We want to be in relationships with each other. And Sunday mornings are great, and a lot of us have made friendships on Sunday mornings. But there's a sense in going deeper and, and really trying to live out these truths that happens across a table or around a circle from each other. And so, God... We want to be a tribe of people that lives life together, that shares life with each other. And lastly, God, we want to share the work with each other. And there is always more to be done. But God, we don't do the work just because it needs to be done. We do the work because this is a, an invitation and a command that you've given us to serve others, to love people the way that you have loved us. This example that you set for us. This way that you turned the, the kingdom of this world on its head and said, I'm not going to come in and be the strongest or the loudest or anything. I'm going to be the least. I'm going to serve. I'm going to go straight to the bottom and serve each person I come into contact with. And so for us, for our hearts, there's a, a practical need that we have at this church. But God, for our hearts, wherever it would look for us to serve, serving our spouse, serving uh, in our office, going above and beyond, doing something for somebody else, even though they can do it for themselves. 
serving and organizations in our community, serving people that are in need in, in various ways, God, would you give us the courage to step out and to serve? God, we know that it's one of the primary ways that you change us and that you grow us and that you help us experience wholeness is when we serve others. And so give us the courage to find a way to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name.